Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 18th, 2014. I'd just like to say that many people have emailed from all over the world really about the, the weather changes. And of course the weather changes are all planned that way because geoengineering has been going on constantly, continuously, not experimentally, uh, since 1998. That's when it really started big time, in Ontario at least, and other countries too. And, and before, of course, since even the 50s, they were doing lots of geoengineering experiments onwards over select areas to see the effects of weather modification. And I've gone through the history of weather modification and all the other effects they can produce too with using electromagnetic energy, the HARP technology, etc. And going back to even Teller, who came up with the idea of the H-bomb, and he talked about saturating the skies with uh, metallic particles, which make it more conductive to electrical impulses, which could be controlled. And, of course, we didn't have um, uh, Brzezinski talking about that in the technotronic era, where he talks about using uh, these waves across whole continents to pacify the people or change their moods and, and so on. They can actually make you anxious or depressed or simply placid, because we work on, on frequencies. Every cell in your body has its own frequency, every cell type, that is. And by modifying that and getting close to it, they can mimic it and then alter it slightly too. It works uh, across the board with people. But we've watched this geoengineering going on uh, in, in concert with uh, the global warming agenda, which is the, the big PR stunt to, uh, to institutionalize in our way of talking, thinking, and conversations, the idea that we're causing all the problems on the planet, when in reality, big uh, scientific uh, societies and agencies are working hard to give this impression. I've mentioned so many times, and I can't stress it enough, that, uh, uh, that uh, Arthur C. Clarke talked about the effects of uh, advanced science on a primitive population, and he said, that it would appear as magic to the people. And we think we're so advanced today, the average person, because of the internet and so on, we think we know it all, and we don't, because we're way behind uh, with all the techniques that are used, with all the scientific magazines, which are low-level stuff. That's research has been done again, uh, the starting, basically, on certain areas, whereas the real searching was done a long time ago. And what you're given in, for public consumption is obsolete to an extent, too. So we believe what they tell us, or people, a lot of people do believe what they're told because they get repetition. Propaganda also works by repetition and uh, until the public themselves start parting it in their conversations. Uh, I've gone through the history of this as I say, go into the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find uh, talks I've given on this and the history of it and so on. And the histories, too, of the non-governmental organizations, which have tremendous power today, working under the United Nations umbrella. And the United Nations, of course, is, uh, is, is an organization set up by a private organization already in existence, which was the, the, the Lord Alfred Milner Group, which became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. They created all of these agencies, supranational agencies, which are privately run, they set up the World Bank, they set up the IMF and the Bank for International Settlements. I've gone through the history of that before too. So the next step, of course, is to use the scientific technique to control all of society. It's already been done, actually, and most folk don't know it. They really don't know that science uh, rose up a long time ago, well-funded, uh, well-managed and organized and directed by the funders, the funders being uh, an intelligentsia already in existence who uh, came from very wealthy families. They hired the best minds they could find to create their organizations like the CFR, Council of Foreign Relations, and, uh, and they've done awfully well. They set up the idea of the trading blocks and eventually to amalgamate the, the three main blocks into a world, under a world governmental agency down the road, which is almost here pretty well. We're, we're, in fact, we are global. We've heard that prattle about globalism for an awful long time until, again, it becomes institutionalized, as they call it themselves in their own writings. Once we prattle on about it in the, the public and general conversations on a superficial level, because most folk uh, will 
prattling about these things without ever digging into it themselves. They've got bits and bytes of information, and they simply prattle off to each other in conversation. Uh, and other folk think they know what it means too, because they've heard the bits and bytes as well, and they don't go any deeper than that. Anything done on a major scale is put out hypothetically to the public. If we were going to do this geoengineering, what would the consequences be? And that's what they talk about at their big meetings. Of course, there's other organizations they work for, the multitude of them have already done all the research and they bring it together and they also observe the effects as it happens because it's already been going on for a long time now. Uh, in other words, the, the major decisions are bypassed by the general public. We are told it's in the future and uh, and possibly and maybe not at that, etc., etc. It's all very confusing. And, and because we are trained to parrot what comes across from the news and from famous people, etc., we uh, ignore what we see with our own eyes. Most folk do. Even when they see they've been watching the spring for years, uh, they don't want to say, well, this is not how it used to be. People have very short-term memories today. They expect, as Brzezinski said, the media to do their reasoning for them. Therefore, if no, if no hassle and anxiety is drummed up by the media to be concerned about something, they will not be concerned. They'll ignore their own conclusions or responses or even thinking or reasoning to do with what is happening above their heads, in fact, or why the weather is changing. It's quite simple. And it's quite astonishing, too, that we're so easy to manipulate in so many different ways. This is only one aspect of it. So we've been told that, that the geoengineering, if they ever did it, that is, it could have, uh, once they noticed that they were getting a lot of rain, of course, they suddenly changed it. Oh, it could be lots of rain happening. Well, since November to April, uh, the snow melted here in April in, in Ontario, where I am. And uh, since then, it's been raining. And so, so from November till April, uh, the ground didn't see any sun at all pretty well. It, didn't, it was never bare because we didn't have a big thaw like we usually have. And uh, so we had a massive blanket of snow. Lots of snow, more snow than I've seen for years. And most folk here say that, uh, the older guys say that they haven't seen this since the night, early 60s. So it's back again, you see. But we see the spring going on, even with the sharp breaks in clouds that we see, they're still doing it. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, in the wintertime, therefore you're getting, uh, coming down with snow. And then it goes straight into rain. It's rained here uh, for a little bit last month, uh, pretty continuously. Uh, very little sunshine. And last night, the temperature dropped right down to uh, three, minus three centigrade, or about 29 Fahrenheit, right about that, that, that temperature. So we're still in the freezing temperatures at night here, and it's cold during the day. So the geoengineering is working awfully well. But eventually, the, the public, the general public, will get the message from the media to be concerned about the weather, to concern yourself about it. And then they will be concerned about it. And... Uh, uh, because the idea is to make you believe that you're the cause of it all. It's so brilliant, isn't it? How easy it is to manipulate millions or even billions of people by the information you receive. After all, why would anybody want to lie to you? That's how naive we are. People didn't used to be so naive. I mean, up until just before TV came in, folk distrusted governments. They distrusted them across the world. Because they had a better education of the history of governments and armies and standing armies and all these things and how a power elite could turn them against the people at any time they wished to. And they often did, of course. That was the history of the world. So eventually we'll, we will blame ourselves because that's an intention. Uh, we'll believe it because people will start to say, my God, the weather is changing. Uh, they still won't notice the spraying because it won't be mentioned, of course, in the mainstream media. And then, of course, you'll be taught... Uh, that science has to rule us even more. And, and the old governments and politics are obsolete because uh, they represent you and you are uneducated, you're ignorant, etc. We need a, an advanced scientific group to, to run the world. It's been like that for a long time, actually. This haven't told you. And I'll touch on that tonight. But I have got into the past quite a bit in different areas about the organizations that were set up to bring in world government, who set it up, uh, the big bankers of the day, of course, uh, and and very wealthy uh, intergenerational families 
which created the big groups. And, and, and then, of course, in the U.S., everyone knows the Rockefeller family that really helped to spearhead. At least that's what you're told. So there were big groups behind them, mind you. The Rockefellers also took the heat. But uh, the Rockefellers belonged to the organization uh, that, uh, in fact, the, the old man Rockefeller was set up to, 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 and given awful, a lot of help, possessively, in acquiring his power and wealth uh, by the organization that already existed. But they put him out as the front man for the Council on Foreign Relations. He already worked for it before they called it that, of course, because this is a branch of the Milner Group, and then they gave themselves official titles later on uh, to further confuse the general public. But um, the organization itself was so secretive, according to Carl Quigley, uh, that many folk in Parliament, including Winston Churchill, at one point didn't know. They knew there was something going on by a group. He did, he didn't, they had a no name given out to the general public at the time. Now, most folk may, maybe know that the term Council of Foreign Relations when they bring on a spokesperson to advise on foreign policy, etc. Private organizations, very old indeed, uh, anybody who's anybody and who's been so-called a made man, made by the organizations behind them, that is, that opened the, the doors, uh, cut out the competition for them and made sure they were awfully wealthy. Uh, in other words, they're bought and paid for completely intergenerationally. Uh, they'll carry on the agenda. So I've gone through that in the past, too. If you go into the archives, again, at cutting through the matrix.com, you can find out lots of information on all of this. But the idea for this group, this very old group, was to create a world society to see how to maintain power for their own corporations was awfully important, of course, because economics is the key to controlling everything. And those at the top of money and power want to keep it and ensure that the big corporations they also own uh, don't fail, the big, big ones. Uh, they amalgamate all the time, of course, but really it's all kind of in the family you'll find that many of the top corporations in any particular area are all owned by the, the share, same shareholders at the top, the select shareholders uh, that have... Uh, these, what, these shares are not advertised to the public to buy. Now, getting back to the idea of science controlling society, I'll just touch on something. An old book by a very important man, uh, because, again, they put out their own spokespeople, to often write to each other, in a sense, by publishing books. Uh, the general public will get one message, but the insiders get another message from what they read. That's how a lot of things are written. But uh, Lord Bretton Russell, I've mentioned so many times, was often accused of being a communist, and he wasn't, because you understand that this, this same group, Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, funded all sides. In fact, they created all sides uh, that appear to be in conflict. And they made sure that we fed uh, even opposing sides through cold wars, etc. Uh, because they, it's very, to get change, you must have at least two sides. One, one side, where everyone's content, won't fight and change for anything. Why should they? So we create an opposing side. And through the opposition, as this old thesis, antithesis, and synthesis that you, you, you end up getting. This is the whole idea of strategy. Uh, all strategies are worked out that way, the Hegelian dialectic, as I like to call it, but which existed long before Hegel came along. So, to get change, you need all the conflicts. So you must, you must control all sides. So only those at the top know the con, and even the heavy, the real higher workers uh, uh, beneath them, still higher level, but beneath them, are not in on the big joke, you might say. The big, big joke. That's why the bombs were never sent off, set off during uh, the Cold War. That's why the missiles were never fired. Uh, an organization that was running the whole show would never, ever uh, have, have a lack of fail-safes to ensure that only those at the very top could press the buttons, of course. And they were all working for the same group, always having international meetings together. Now, the society they wanted to bring in was not democratic. I've mentioned this before. They would use the term democracy. The public had been already accustomed to the term in the, in the 1800s, the idea of democracy, put it that way. But they had an intention of always controlling this thing called democracy, uh, which disarms a lot of people mentally and sometimes physically, to give up all personal power and do it for the, the, the greater good. We're all in it together sort of thing. 
But the boys at the top always had a, a plan. They said democracy would never work in their own writings, private writings. And uh, they would have to bring in a scientific society. And Bertrand Russell, of course, was one of the top propagandists for them. He was also a very, a very uh, busy worker working with groups who were given, again, uh, the right to create new cultures by a private organization running at the top. Uh, and even had presidential authority uh, after World War II. In fact, during World War II, to help set up the post-war reconstruction, uh, changing cultures, etc., etc. Now, here's a book that Russell put out in 1931. It's called The Scientific Outlook. And this guy is often called a philosopher, a mathematician, and so on. But uh, he was also a propagandist, and he worked with the Macy Group, uh, the Frankfurt School, and other doctrines, you might call them, clubs, uh, that wanted to bring in uh, this new socialist appearing society uh, that had to be had to always appear to be socialist for the people, etc. That way they wouldn't have any more revolutions eventually. Uh, and the people would be conned into believing it really was all for them. But the, the goal was always stressed uh, by Russell, who, who couldn't help but boast once in a while. He had a tremendous ego, this man. And so much so, in fact, he kept going after other guys' wives, very important people, and, and just to win them over to say, I'm better than the, that guy, you see. Tremendous ego. Very pompous and private uh, conversation at dinner tables, etc. Very arrogant. He loved to get arguments going and, and try and belittle other people. Uh, he, used to, he fell out with Arthur Kessler on that topic because when a bunch of them were at the, the dinner table, uh, the, uh, he he uh, he tried. He was flirting. Russell was flirting heavily with uh, Kessler's wife, and Kessler lost his top, which is exactly what Russell wanted to happen. You see, a bit psychopathic personality. Enjoyed it. So here's a, a little thing he wrote, 1931, the and in it he talks about. This is before World War Two. Remember, people think everything became as a surprise attack in World War Two, especially for the U.S. Uh, Japan just happened to suddenly do a, a nasty, sneaky thing, and it was all a big surprise. And of course, we know that, that FDR, and even before him, the U.S. had been cutting off and taking over all the Pacific areas. Japan needs imports, it needs, it needs to bring in its energy supplies and so on, raw materials. And to stop any expansionism, uh, the big corporations in the U.S. and Britain made sure that they had a complete hold and all of these islands and lands where they got the raw resources, they didn't want Jap- Japan butting in. But they did want to bring in the world society. So what do you do? You've got to get a war going, of course. That's what you'll have to do to change culture. Remember what they said, and, and Quigley said this too, who worked for the same group, remember, Quigley. And, and Quigley said that you can get more done in five years of war than 50 years of peace and propaganda. It's easier to change society. And he said all sides in the conflict uh, have their, their, their culture changed. Now, why would they want to change the culture? Well, to bring you into a new society, a world society, you must eliminate all the old cultures to bring in the new. It's the old Nimrod idea, isn't it, really? The old Tower of Babel. And they all spoke as one language. The old thing, that's why they have that old broken tower and so much of the Rosicrucian Masonic literature, of course. It's to do with something for the future. The creation of this tower, if you want to call it that. Who knows, maybe it's going to be a massive electrical tower. But anyway, the idea is, is, is power. A tower stands for power. One power running the world. But, uh, Here's what he says, in spite of the extraordinary success of, of Japanese policy, this is 1931, there are certain unintended effects which are likely to, in time to cause serious difficulties. Yeah. The sudden change of habits and of conscious opinions has induced a certain nervous strain at any rate in the urban part of the population. This may produce a tendency to, of, to hysteria in times of national stress. Indeed, such a tendency was shown in the massacres of Koreans, that occurred after the earthquake of Tokyo. What's more serious is, is the position of Japan demands the growth of both industrialism and armaments. Owing to the expense of the latter, 
The industrial workers are poor. They tend, consequently, to acquire a rebellious mentality, and the circumstances of their work make it difficult for them to preserve that close family organization upon which Japanese society is built. If Japan should become engaged in an unsuccessful war, and this is a guy, this is coming from a guy, remember, who attended lots of, of world meetings, often which were kept quiet from the public. Generally, they were. And it says, and these circumstances might produce a revolution analogous to the Russian Revolution. The present social structure in Japan is likely, therefore, in time to become unstable. But it may be that the same skill which has rendered possible the triumphant career of Japan throughout the last 70 years will enable the Japanese to adapt themselves to changing circumstances and gradually without any violent upheaval. The one thing that seems fairly certain is that whether gradually or by revolution, the social structure in Japan will have to be profoundly modified. And then he goes on to say, Remarkable as it is, therefore it's not a perfect example of scientific construction. Scientific construction. I do not mean by this that it could have been bettered at the time, but only that it is not in all respects a model for the future. In other words, you need a war and massive change, misguided. Which is, of course, is what they did eventually after World War II. And in fact, they planned it all during, before, during, and after. They were still carrying out the changes uh, for the hypothetical future Japan, which had already worked on. The attempt at scientific instruction, which is being made by the Soviet government, this is why these boys created these big, they call them experiments across the world, to use in the future. They'd find all the, all, all the, the problems that would arise through the system, and they'd bring in another one later on under a different name, of course. We call it socialism or world government. And uh, this is what you're in today. It's a perfected Soviet system. But he says made by the Soviet system, is more ambitious than that which was carried uh, through by the Japanese innovation in 1867. It aims at a much greater change in social institutions and at the creation of a society far more different from anything previously known than is that of Japan. So it is lauding uh, what happened in the Soviet Union with, with its millions slaughtered and the whole thing. The experiment is still in, in progress. The experiment is still in progress. And only a rash man would venture to predict whether it will succeed or fail. Remember, the, the, the CFR and, and the Royal Institute for International Affairs covered up the massacres and slaughters in the Soviet Union and uh, up until after World War II. Well after it, in fact. And it says here, the experiment is still in progress, which only a rash man would eventually predict whether it will succeed or fail. The attitude of both of friends and enemies towards it has been singularly unscientific. Unscientific attitude, right? For my part, I'm not anxious to appraise the good or evil in the Soviet system, but merely point out those elements of deliberate planning which make it so far the most complete example of a scientific society. In other words, all what they called uh, superstition or religion was kicked, kicked out. Of course, not all of it. There was actually some which was allowed. But um, he said that uh, scientific society, in other words, scientific experts, organized, and, 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 and NGOs too, by the way. And remember, Soviet means rule by councils, appointed councils, which is what we have today. Only we've got private NGOs, all funded by big private foundations. Most of them, and not all of them, are members of the CFR, Royal for International Affairs, these big uh, foundations. And, uh, and they help uh, bring in the environmental things. They have they're at all the world meetings. They have a big, big major say in what happens. The public don't count. The proles don't count, as George Orwell said. It says, in the first place, all the major factors of production and distribution are controlled by the state, which Russell really thought was a great idea. And by the way, that's why you have the World Trade Organization and, and, and the GATT Treaty, etc., run by private organizations, which you think are all separate. So in the second place, all education, all education is designed to stimulate activity in support of the official experiment, massive propaganda, massive indoctrination, uh, it's quite easy to train the public in a Pavlovian style, and Pavlov had a lot to do with the, the schooling system across the whole Soviet system. 
It says, in the third place, the state does what it can to substitute its religion for the various traditional beliefs which have existed within the territory of the USSR. In the fourth place, literature and the press are controlled by the government and are such as uh, are, are thought likely to help it in its constructive purposes. That's the same as we have today. We've had it for an awful long time because Quigley himself said all the major uh, press, all the, the owners, uh, editors and so on, are all members of the one organization, the CFR, Royal Street for International Affairs. And it says here, and we get our, most of our news from Reuters and API. It says, uh, and Reuters, of course, was set up by the, the Rothschilds. Uh, it says, uh, in the fifth place, the family, insofar as it represents a loyalty which competes with loyalty to the state, is being gradually weakened. That was the intention of destruction of the family unit, remember? Abolition of it under the communist system. And that's what you have in the West under a different technique they used, which is massive promiscuity and massive entertainment and heavy indoctrination in school to get younger and younger children all the time until they're hypersexualized before they even get into puberty. And they will never stay with one person for the rest of their lives and have families and children. It says... um, in the sixth place, the five-year plan, which they, they love these five, ten, fifty-year plans at the United Nations too, by the way, is bending the whole constructive energies of the nation to the realization of a certain economic balance and a productive efficiency, by means of which it is hoped that a sufficient degree of material comfort will be secured for everyone. Now, who decides what is sufficient? Well, the big boys do. In every other society of the world, there is enormously less central direction than under the Soviet government. It's true that during the war, it's talking about the World War One or the Great War, as they called it then, uh, the energies, why they call it great, well, I've, told, I've explained that before too, the energies of the nations were, to a considerable extent, centrally organized. But everyone knew that this was temporary, and even as at its height, the organization was not so all-pervasive as it is in Russia. Because government comes in and takes over almost through martial law during times of war. That's why they're using the anti-terrorism idea now for the next part of this agenda today. The five-year plan, as its name implies, is supposed to be temporary and to belong to a time of stress, not wholly unlike that of the Great War. But it's to be expected that if it succeeds, other plans will take its place. And that's exactly what you have. Since the central organization of a vast nation's activities is too attractive to the organizers to be abandoned readily. The Russian experiment may succeed or may fail, but even if it fails, now here's the important part, it will be followed by others which will share its most interesting characteristics, namely the unitary direction of a whole nation's activities. This is so important, if you understand what he's saying here. This is a guy who attended all the world meetings. He was given the power, along with other groups, a big organizer, to alter the culture before World War II, after World War II, and even the changes that you're going through in your own lifetime today. The groups in his generation planned the changes step by step with their 5, 10, 50-year plans, etc. Minutely by the way. Education, steps of changes in education, everything had to be done incrementally. So he's talking about, they still admired, you see, this experiment of the Soviet Union, and you had it in China too. And that's why China, by the way, is, is a poster child of the United Nations today. Everyone obeys the state. The state's all-powerful. And because there are no opposing parties, they say, well, they can get things done. You see? Maggie Thatcher said the same thing. She said, when she retired, she says, I know she now belongs to a higher organization, the technocracy. Unelected people working for an organization behind the scenes with other ex-premiers of, of, of countries across the world. And she said, we can get things done without the spotlight being on us and without the, public's, uh, the public knowing even what they're doing. So they can't complain or demonstrate or anything else. So anyway, the unitary direction of a whole nation's activities. This was impossible in earlier days since it depends upon the technique of propaganda. 
That is upon universal education. That's why they had to have a universal education in the UNICEF, etc., at the United Nations. So, so uniform education, the newspapers too. In other words, all propaganda, all news art articles must be the same in all media, newspapers. Uh, the cinema, the movies, and at the time you said the wireless. Remember, this was 1931. Now you have TV as well. The state had already been strengthened by railways and the telegraphy, which made possible the rapid transmission of news and concentration of troops. In addition to modern methods of propaganda, modern methods of warfare have strengthened the state as against discontented elements. He's talking about within. They now call them insurgents. Airplanes and poison gases have made revolt difficult unless it obtains the support of, of aeronautics and chemists. So in other words, you'd have to... What he's hinting at here, too, is that all chemists, and those to do with bio-warfare, etc., must all belong to the same organization, be uniform in their ideas, and, and their, tu- their own tuition going through universities. Remember, standardized education. So it would make revolt impossible down the road. Says any prudent government will favour these two classes and take pains to secure their loyalty. It's already been done, you see. As the example of Russia has shown, it's now possible for men of energy and intelligence, if they once become possessed of the governmental machine, to retain power even though at first they may have to face the opposition of the majority of the population. These are the guys, remember, he belongs to the groups who actually funded, uh, helped fund and plan uh, the the Bolshevik Revolution. And we fed them, the West fed Russia right up until the so-called walls walls came down. They couldn't even feed themselves. So he lauds the idea that total power is concentrated, you see, and a scientific intelligentsia are put in, you see, who are totally on board. We know that in the Soviet system, any, any intelligentsia that was not on board were slaughtered. In fact, that was the, almost the whole intelligentsia. And a new one substituted, they're already brought in from the West, by the way. It says, anyway, we must therefore increasingly expect to see government falling into the hands of oligarchies. Oligarchies. Not, not of birth, but of opinion. In other words, academia. In countries long accustomed to democracy, the empire of these oligarchies may be concealed behind democratic forms, as with that of Augustus in Rome. These old ideas, these boys, that's why they pull in the Quigleys and historians and so on, to give big talks to these particular groups that do the work, to show them what worked in the past, you see. But elsewhere, the rule will be undisguised. And since about the 60s especially, you've had nothing but experts getting brought on television for every little thing that they decide you should think about. And you're given your opinion, you see, by experts. So you do have the, the, the idea that you have democracy, but you also have the ones who are undisguised, the experts, expert rules, intelligentsia, the educated intelligentsia, specialists. And he says, if there is to be scientific experimentation in the construction of new kinds of societies, the rule of an oligarchy of opinion is essential. Your opinions are all given to you folks. They have been your whole lives long. And your parents before you, by the way. It may be expected that there will be conflicts between different oligarchies, but that ultimately some one oligarchy will acquire world dominion and a worldwide organization as complete and elaborate as that now existing in the USSR. He then says, such a state of affairs will have both merits and demerits. Most, more important than either, however, is the fact that nothing less will enable a society imbued with scientific technique to survive. Scientific technique, and I've given lots of talks on scientific technique from Jack Zillow and others too in the past. Scientific technique demands organization. Now that's an awfully important word, because the, the Soviet system too, just like the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR, and, and the NGOs of the foundations, use what's called organization. 
organization, all remember it's a technique where you must have a, a set of tenets, rules. And you, you, those members who join it cannot break any of the rules for any private opinion. That's how Chatham House, the headquarters of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, that's what they say, they call it Chatham House Rules. Uh, they're, not al- they're only allowed to say select things to the public, but the rest of it is to be quiet. And, they, and whenever they stand up for one thing, all the other things in the list they must also stand up for personally. Communism is exactly the same. So, it says, uh, scientific technique demands organization, and the more per- uh, becomes perfected, the larger are the organizations that it demands. That's also, by the way, where you have uh, what you think of as a left. Uh, they're all into the environmentalism. They're all into socialism. Uh, every group they can possibly find or create, by the way, that they, they claim is on the fringes and neglected by society, is brought up to a standing position, you see, uh, with, with extra privileges, etc. And you must go along with every single tenet. Yet you'll have no private opinion on any particular one topic. That's when you know that someone is working for one of these organizations. They're like clones of each other when they spout off in public. It says the internal organization of industrial production is being rendered necessary by the efficiency of modern methods. Modern industrial plants can easily supply in many directions much more than the total needs of the world. The result of this, which should be wealth, is in fact poverty owing to competition. Competition. In the absence of competition, the immensely enhanced productivity of labor would enable men to arrive at just a just compromise between leisure and goods. They could choose whether they would work six hours a day and be rich or four hours a day and enjoy only moderate comfort. The advantages of worldwide organization, both in preventing the waste of economic competition and removing the dangers of war, are so great as to become an essential condition for the survival of societies possessing scientific technique. Now remember, he's talking from being in the know, and he's speaking on two different levels. In the inner level, he's telling them, well, we already have that. They're run by scientific technique. Our propaganda's all run by it. Our education's run by it. Uh, our thoughts, opinions are, are all uh, unified by it. We're, we have a standard opinion, which is accepted by the public because they're told what's acceptable, what's not. And it's all pretty well there, in fact. But he's telling you they want to go further with it, you see. And remember, too, uh, these are the same organizations behind the idea of free trade and the trading blocks, which are not free at all. They're there, like through the World Trade Organization and so on, they're there to to eliminate competition. And authorized biggies get through, and that's it, you see. So so they've they've achieved in your lifetime what he's talking about here. And it says... The argument, uh, this argument is overwhelming in comparison with all counter-arguments and renders almost unimportant the question whether life in an organized world state, world state, will be more or less satisfactory than life at the present day. For it's only in the direction of an organized world state that the human race can develop unless it abandons scientific technique. And it will not do this except as a result of a cataclysm so severe as to lower the whole level of civilization. In other words, the only thing that could stop it is something that is not under the control of those who rule the world, and already did in his day. Since the advantages to be derived from an organized world state are great and obvious, there will be in the first place security against war and a saving of almost the whole effort and expense now devoted to competitive armaments. There will be, one must suppose, a single highly efficient fighting machine employing mainly aeroplanes and chemical methods of warfare, which will be made quite obvious. Uh, they could be uh, quite obviously be irresistible for governments to use, and will therefore not be resisted. And it says, 
the central government may be, may be changed from time to time by a palace revolution. It's, it's a little phrase like, like you may get it inside. But this will only alter the personnel of the figureheads. And he calls them figureheads because that's what they are. They're not the rulers. Not the essential organization of government, he says. The central government will, of course, forbid the propaganda of nationalism, which is what you've had for a lot. It's so amazing because before Gulf War I, the world had, hadn't heard nothing but globalism, 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 and they never heard about nationalism. And once you got, they needed a, a war going, you see, for the whole Middle East, suddenly you're, you're back to being American, you're British, and everybody's, everybody's proud and blah, 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 you see. And once it's all finished, you go back to globalism, globalism, you see. It's, it's so easy to do. Anyway, he says, uh, by means of which at present anarchy is maintained, and will put its place in its place a propaganda of loyalty to the world state. Now, everyone was confused when George Bush Jr., the general public were confused. The media knew darn well what he was talking about. They wouldn't explain it to the public. That's part of the rules of Chatham House, too. All the members, are, top reporters are all, and the editors and newspapers all belong to the same propaganda machine. But he mentioned that the New World Order coming into view, the thousand points of light idea, the organizations are working towards it. And he also mentioned at uh, 9-11, he said, he said uh, after 9-11, he said, uh, you're either with us, meaning this agenda, which nobody understood, it was so vague, or you're with the terrorists, right? That's what he said. So getting back to what he just said, it says, and we'll put in this place a propaganda of loyalty to the world state. It follows that such an organization, if it can subsist for a generation, will be stable. Remember the New American Century Group? That was where the U.S. was to rule for another hundred years. As they, as they bring in this total globalistic structure, complete it all, in other words. It's already here, but to complete it, tidy up all the loose ends. So war is essential. The gain from an economic point of view will be enormous. There will be no waste in competitive production. We are getting taught the post-consumerist, post-austerity. Right? There's no uncertainty as to employment. No poverty, no sudden alternations of good and bad times. This is still to come when they bring the new Soviet system, the perfected system. Remember what I said earlier where he said that the, even if the Soviet system failed, the USSR, the organization that would rule this previous work would take the better things they'd learned from the Soviet rule, how to con- how control people, manage them, and so on. It's all been done. So, it's, and eventually, in the new system, of course, you have to be appointed to your work uh, from birth. That's if they allow you to be born, remember. Very old plan. I've mentioned the, 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 the video for those who, who should get it. It's called The Soviet Story. And you'll see clips, uh, very, very rare clips uh, in it from people like uh, Bernard Shaw, George Bernard Shaw, from the Fabian Society that ran the left wing for the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They gave you your left wing and your right wing. And he said, you'll have to come to us and tell us why we should keep you alive. They want a planned system, a planned economy, a planned population, etc., the gain from an economic point of view will be enormous, no waste, in, no uncertainty as to employment, no poverty, no sudden alternations of good and bad times. Every man willing to work will be kept in comfort. And every, it says, every man unwilling to work will be kept in prison. Again, go back and see the Soviet story and listen to and read the Fabian uh, documents and so on. It says, when owing to any circumstances, the work upon which a man has hitherto been employed is no longer required, he will be taught some new kind of work and be adequately maintained while he's learning his new trade. Well, that's all gone now because they, they, they planned in subsequent years after this to give most of, of the production to China, as you know. The same organization planned that. If you think China's a separate country, think again. Economic motives will be employed to regulate population. There you go. And that's what you, what have you had since the 60s. Oh, it's too expensive to have a child. It's just, and it says, um, which is, will probably be kept stationary. Almost all that is tragic in human life will be eliminated. And even death will, will seldom come before old age. 
Now, they were absolutely cocksure back then that they could, uh, this is back then in the 30s, remember, at the time, uh, uh, and this guy knew him well, they knew the, uh, Huxley awfully well, Brave New World, uh, written in the 30s too, about the scientific control of a perfect, perfect society. They all worked in the same organization, do you understand? And um, and and I'm, I'm certainly uh, what you got, what you have today. Like all levels of reality, you have a much much higher medicine than anything that's taught in university for the general public to believe in. And it says here, almost all that is tragic in human life will be eliminated, and even death will soon come before old age. Whether men will be happy in this paradise, I do not know. Now, Huxley answered that in his Brave New World revisited. And in his talks, uh, he gave it Berkeley in the 60s. And you can get them on the internet anywhere. And he talked about, uh, Huxley talked about, uh, through the use of drugs, pharma. Uh, and they called it Soma in his book, he said, but we can actually do it through pharmacology eventually. Uh, get, grab the children young, get them hooked on stuff, and, and, and drug people throughout their lives. Uh, and so they, they would be uh, not, not known happiness, you see. So he says, whether men will be happy in this paradise, I don't know. Perhaps biochemistry, here we go, will show us how to make any man happy, provided he has the necessities of life. Perhaps uh, even dangerous sports will be organized for those whose boredom, whom boredom would otherwise turn into anarchists. Perhaps sport will take over the cruelty which have been banished from politics. Perhaps football will be replaced to play battles in the air. He's talking about soccer and, and football in which death will be the, the penalty of defeat. That's why they had the, the movies, uh, which you've already seen, and they came out much, much later, uh, in the 70s and 80s and so on, uh, about death sports and movies. It may be that so long as men... See, that everything I've been looked at, every part of your behavior and, and psychology, behaviorism, all these organizations uh, have been working on us for an awful long time, but they knew this all way back then. And it says... It may be that, that so long as men are allowed to seek death, to seek death, they will not mind having to seek it in a trivial cause. That's why folks speed in their cars. And so it's only the time they feel power, personal power, as through speeding and, and beating the guy in front and getting overtaking him and so on. And, and it says, uh, they will not mind having to seek it in a trivial cause. To fall through the air before a million spectators may come to be thought a glorious death, even if it has no, if it has no purpose but the amusement of a holiday crowd. Now, just put that into car racing. They've done all the studies on it. People don't watch car racing to see the guy winning. They, see, they want to see the crashes. And that's why they show them with psychic driving, the technique that was used in, in race car driving, uh, they eventually used for 9-11 towers over and over, the same shots over. That's psychic driving to get it home, you see. Nothing you see on television it happens by itself. And the way it's done too. It's, it may be that in some such way a safety valve can be produced Provided for the anarchic and the violent forces in human nature, meaning opposition to their system. They're bringing in. Or again, it may be that, that by wise education and suitable diet, suitable diet. He's talking about bioengineering folks, if you don't understand what, what these guys mean by diet. And he explains a bit more in other books he's written too, the same guy and many others involved in the same organizations. GMO, the chemical mix that you, you eat from your vegetables now too, all the sprays and toxins. We've already seen it with, uh, with of course, the, the xenoestrogens, the artificial estrogens, synthetic ones, uh, which have caused major changes in men especially, and women too, by the way, major changes. And we know too from so many experiments that they've done, they admit themselves uh, if you went to the different uh, university studies, etc., and medical studies on a lot of these chemicals, it's by the third generation you're almost completely sterile as well, as well as being not masculine, by the way. Anyway, this is a suitable diet. Men may be cured of all their unruly impulses. In other words, he's agreeing with, with what uh, uh, Charles Galton Darwin said in, in the next million years, his book, that he wrote in the 1950s, 
I think it was. Uh, Charles Galton Darwin said much later, because they're all in the same organization, you understand, uh, that they'd have to bring down the population, and they can do it by sterilization, even through their food or inoculations and various other means. Uh, and uh, and you, they used to have hormones, he said, in their diet. Well, these xenohestrogens, artificial synthetic estrogens and so on, uh, are all there and present in the pesticides, just coincidentally, by the way. Eh? That's how you'll always rationalize things. Anyway, and all life may become as quiet as a Sunday school. Total control of the population for the ruling oligarchy. There will, of course, be a universal language, which either be uh, Esperanto. They tried to bring in uh, Esperanto across the big money. Same organization pushed it, CFR, International Affairs. It didn't take off. And then later on, it says, okay, English has become the international business language of the present and the future. It says Esperanto or Pidgin English. The literature of the past will be, for the most part, not be translated into this language, since its outlook and emotional background will be considered unsettling. Now, for those who saw, uh, who've read or seen the movie for, uh, Fahrenheit uh, four five one, go and see it. They, they, these writers they, they didn't get the ideas from themselves of the future. They were given them to put out there, by the way. Because indoctrination takes two forms, the, the, the overt type and what appears to be the exposure or a revelation of the method, they call it, which also has a negative effect because it also makes it seem inevitable to the, the people who are soaking it up. Be very careful of what you soak up and how you translate it. Don't let someone else translate it for you. And to add to... The success of the internet, from their point of view, is phenomenal. Because I noticed back in the 70s and the 80s, they started to dump massive quantities of books from libraries across the Western world. You'd find them in garbage dumps. If you live in the country, you often take your garbage to the dump, and you see them all. Just getting dumped. And I realized that right there and then there was a big, again, coordinated move. It wasn't individual libraries. Oh, we'll just chuck these. No, no. This was a cleansing happening of knowledge. And in came the internet big time. More books were dumped. And then they'd say, well, we get, we get them on electronic. Well, the electronic versions are all either going missing or, or simply eliminated altogether, or they're heavily, heavily edited and often completely changed, by the way. So knowledge is always being changed. So he says here, this is, this is, this is it, of course. They won't translate lots of things, which might unsettle people. We give them ideas, in other words. Since the outlook and emotional background will be considered unsettling, serious students of history will be able to obtain a permit from the government to study such works as Hamlet and Othello. But the general public will be forbidden access to them on the ground that they, they glorify private murder. Boys will not be allowed to read books about pirates or red Indians. Love themes will be discouraged on the ground that love, being anar- anarchic, is silly, if not wicked. And these guys don't believe in any of these things, but they, they push on you as they push sex on you, you see. Until you get confused between love and sex. And eventually they separate, like they, they said in their big uh, articles from the United Nations, they would separate sex from the, uh, from the bonding act, and there would be no family. It's been done awfully successfully. And of course, through school, you have this complete uh, um, zero-tolerance attitude, and they call it bullying, but there has many other motives, this bullying, because the effects of the hormones and the changes are very evident, of course. But also, uh, no, 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 you, can't, you can't even fight back if someone attacks you. Zero-tolerance. Boys will not be allowed to read books with pirates read in. Love themes will be discouraged on the ground that love. And that's why you have nothing but sex and encounters today. Love doesn't come into it. Because anarchic families stick together and stand up under common principles and common behavior and ideals against oligarchies, folks. So he calls it as love is anarchic if silly. It's silly and if not, in fact, wicked. All this will make life very pleasant for the virtuous. An awfully important term is virtuosity. They're virtuous. You see that all through masonry as well. All these organizations are connected, of course. Old, old 
and old organizations at the top of this. Very, very old indeed. Science increases our power to do both good and harm, and therefore enhances the need for restraining destructive impulses. If a scientific world is to survive, it is therefore necessary that men should become tamer, tame the men, than they have been. The splendid criminal must no longer be an ideal, and submissiveness must be more admired than it has been in the past. For sub- so submissive heroes, you see, who work with the system, the system, there's only one system. And all this there will be both gain and loss, and it's not within human power to strike a balance between the two. It is interesting too, isn't it? Not within human power to strike a balance between the two. Now I'll, I'll jump to another chapter here. We talked about scientific reproduction. Very old idea from the same group. In fact, written about long before even Russell was born, and that was a long time ago. It says, science, when it has been acquired, uh, when it was acquired, a firm hold upon social organization is hardly likely to stop short at these biological aspects of human life which have hitherto been left to the joint guidance of both religion and instinct. So in other words, they want to interject uh, so, so that offspring won't just happen and you have families, etc. We may, I think, assume that both the, the quantity and, and the quality of the population will be carefully regulated by the state. It's always the state. It says, but, but that sexual intercourse, apart from children, will be regarded as a private matter uh, so long as it's not allowed to interfere with work. And so they give you your work and all, but, but they give you lots of lots of sex in your free time, don't they? As regards quantity, the state statisticians will determine as carefully as they can whether the population of the world at the moment is above or below the number which leads to the greatest material comfort per head. Remember, this is before they set China up to be the the manufacturer for the world, which alters some of his findings. He says they will also take account of all such changes of technique as can be foreseen. No doubt the usual rule will be to aim at a stationary population, but if some important invention, such as artificial food, should greatly cheapen the production of necessities, an increase of population might for a time be thought wise. He says, I shall, however, assume that in normal times the world government will decree a stationary population. Well, we know since then they want a vastly reduced population. But remember, too, he was working on the, on, on the particular doers and shakers and movers working for the same organization who were getting the hints from him as to what they would let out to the public at that time. And they, they knew already at that time in the 1930s that the public would not be ready to be told, uh, told and, and ordered to have fewer children, you see. He also says, too, scientific breeding in any truly scientific form would at present encounter insuperable obstacles from religion and from sentiment. This is to carry it out scientifically, it would be necessary to, as amongst domestic animals, this is talking about you, to employ only a small percentage of males for purpose, purposes of breeding. What do you have now? Uh, artificial insemination, and you have sperm banks. You take all these things for granted, but you don't even say, well, who, who authorizes those sperm donors? We've had rackets going on, of course, where money's involved always, and we've found doctors who, who, who put down that they're employing all these sperm donors, and, and they put on their taxes and so on. But the fact is, it comes all from the same quacks. They're doing it themselves. But who's authorizing this? So, scientific breeding, uh, blah, 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 it says... Uh, this is to carry scientifically as amongst domestic animals to employ only a small percentage of males for purposes of breeding. It may be thought that religion and sentiment will always succeed in opposing an immovable veto to such a system. So I, would, I wish I could think so, but I believe that sentiment is quite extraordinarily plastic. He's talking about your, your, your sentimentality, your, your custom, your culture. It says it's quite extraordinarily plastic that the individualistic religion to which we have been accustomed is likely to be increasingly replaced uh, 
but a religion of devotion to the state. Among Russian communists, this has already happened. In any case, what is demanded is scarcely as difficult a control of natural impulses as is involved in the celibacy of the Catholic priesthood. Now, he, he lauded, no, they all lauded the fact that Russia, um, even in the later years of Russia, Soviet Union, uh, didn't even borrow with the birth control pill for the, most of the classes. And they had classes all right, they had the upper and middle and lower. And um, they, they used abortion. Some women had maybe ten or more abortions, uh, rather than give them the pill and so on. It was actually cheaper for there because labour was dirt cheap, it was for free. It says whatever remarkable achievements are possible, and at the same time, uh, such as to satisfy men's moral idealism, the love of power is capable of swallowing up the instinctive life of the affections. In other words, ambition, career, especially if an outlet is permitted to purely physical sexual impulses. Traditional religion, which has been violently dispossessed in Russia, will suffer a setback everywhere if the Russian experiment proves successful. Remember we said earlier, even if it fails, they would use the successful parts. In any case, its outlook is difficult to reconcile with that of industrialism and scientific technique. Traditional religion was was based upon a man's sense of uh, impotence in the face of natural power or forces, whereas scientific technique induces a sense of the the impotence of natural forces in the face of man's intelligence. Combined with the sense of power, a certain degree of austerity in regard to the softer pleasures is quite natural. One sees already in many of those who are creating the the uh, mechanistic society of the future, in America this austerity Austerity has taken the form of Protestant piety. See, they tried it already, and you don't even know it. If you belong to an organization, they're using you. I'm not kidding, even including the Protestant organizations, too. In Russia, of devotion to communism. This is talking about austerity, folks, the 1930s. This would come eventually, but we're in it today. We've heard it prattled on to us. Post-consumer, going to austerity. Spending money will all go instead to basic essentials. Your electricity has gone up everywhere. By consensus across the world, the world grid. Your food is sky high because it's all centralized now. All the foods control the world. And so on and so on. So I think, therefore, that there is hardly any limit to the departures from traditional sentiment which science may introduce into the question of reproduction. If the simultaneous religion of quantity and quality is taken seriously in the future, we expect that in each generation some 25% of women, some 5% of men will be selected to be the parents of the next generation. Who selects the sperm donors, folks? How many are there? Ever wondered? These guys have statistics on everything. That's how they run it all. Knowledge is power. It says, well, the remainder of the population will be sterilized, which will in no way interfere with their sexual pleasures. That's what you're seeing today, folks. But will merely render these pleasures destitute of social importance. Interesting. The women who are selected for breeding will have to have eight or nine children each. These are the ones who are selected at the top. But will not be expected to perform any other work except the suckling of the children for a suitable number of months. No obstacles were placed upon their relations with sterile men or upon the relations of sterile men and women with each other. But reproduction will be regarded as a matter which concerns the state and will not be left to the free choice of the persons concerned. Look at all the disincentives not to have children. Economic. Oh, it's so expensive. You have children's aid uh, with, with mandatory home inspections coming in all over the place, which terrify the general public. They know this too. This is the intention of it. So those who haven't got children yet, those growing up, will say, well, I don't want to go through what my parents went through, and so on, with all these visits and orders, and, and so on. So many ways to put you off having children. But anyway, that's all I have time for tonight, unfortunately, and uh, as I say, uh, I'd like to go into much more detail, but I've given lots out in the past, and many folk have put lots of stuff in their own books and so on, without mentioning me, of course, which is normal <laughs> these days. But uh, the whole point of this exercise, as I say, is to get through to the occasional individual who can actually start to understand what's been happening. Even if they can't communicate it to other people, 
they really care about it because the, the indoctrination process, as I've said, it was perfected a long time ago. And this is only one uh, of many books that I have on all these topics uh, written by big movers and shakers who helped plan the future which we're in today and the future still to come, by the way, was planned in the days of, of these guys. The cultural change, morality, so it's all been done very successfully. And scientific dictatorship is here. It can be guised under, again, the state or department of whatever. It doesn't matter what it's called. It all achieves the objectives that were set out a long time ago. In fact, they're disguised under so many different names. But they've achieved what they wanted without the hassle from the public saying, oh, one group can't do this. No, they they put into so many different uh, groups. that that Some of them sound very, very nice. Environmentalism sounds nice, the environment. Well, live in the environment. But you have no idea this is an authority. They have vehicles in the States now. They're like big cop cars. The, the environmental police. And we'll see them all over the place shortly. Everything ends up being an authority. That's its purpose, folks. And you are the targets. Because, you see, you're the proles as George Orwell kept telling us. The truth is hard to bear for most folk, and they still, again, their bubble is very important to them, and they still love their their, their soft porn uh, comedies and all the rest of it. That's how you get most porn and ideas and changes for ideas put across to you in a laughable manner, you see. And, and they won't give them up. And so they, they constantly get updated without even knowing it with the new political correctness, obedience, the new obedience in this area, added to all the other areas, obedience to the state, the authority. We'll have to get on with it because, as I say, the the heating going in the house here because it's going to be another freezing uh, night tonight or evening. It's already cold now. It's been cold all day, in fact. And it's almost June, but uh, that's the new weather, you see, is it's scientifically controlled as well. But remember, when they tell you it's all your fault, and they've got to tax you and, and with carbon taxes and all the rest of it too, it's all part of the plan, folks. And remember, uh, in a system of abuse, it's always your fault, right? It's always your fault. So from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you. Thank you.